There has been much hoopla in recent years over what is called the blood moon phenomenon. Is all the attention really justified? Do the blood moons really constitute an omen of some biblical event that is about to occur? And if so, what? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I are going to share some thoughts with you about the blood moon mania that seems to have simply swept Christendom in the past few years. It all began in 2008 when a pastor in Tacoma, Washington by the name of Mark Biltz announced that he had discovered an astronomical phenomenon that might point to the date of the Lord's return. The concept was based on what is called blood moons. Nathan, why don't you get us started on our study here, and let me just ask you this question, what in the world is a blood moon? <laughs> well, a blood moon is a complete lunar eclipse. It's where you have the sun and the moon, and the earth passes through it, and the shadow of the earth goes across the moon. And as the light comes and it bends around the atmosphere of the earth, it gives the moon kind of a reddish color. So, it looks a lot like that. Okay. So, uh, not all lunar eclipses are full. Uh, there, there's partial ones, and then total ones. And so, we're talking here about total eclipses that cause the moon to appear red. Okay. All right. Now, how rare is this? Well, for the 20th century, for example, there's 229 partial eclipses. But total, there was 81 that totally covered the moon, so okay. you could see it. Now, in the 21st century, there's going to be 228, and of those, 85 will be total eclipses. Total eclipses, 85. Now, there's something even more rare than that, I understand. It's what's called a tetrad. What in the world is a tetrad? Well, a tetrad is four total lunar eclipses that occur over the course of two years. Four over the course of two years. Okay. Now, how often is, do those occur? Well, there's only been 87 since the time of Christ. As a matter of fact, in this century alone, there'll be eight. But some centuries, there's never any at all. Oh, so 87 since the time of Christ. So we're talking about something very, very rare. It here. is very rare, yes. Now, there's something even rarer. Yes. And that's what Mark Biltz discovered. And that is what I call the Feast Tetrads. And that's, what is that? Well, that's the Jewish feasts actually cover. Um, fall on the same dates as those four total lunar eclipses, the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. All right. Well, give us an example of what you're talking about. For example, I think there was one in 67, 68 that was yeah, a feast yes. test tread. So, give us an example of that. Well, for example, uh, Passover happened on April 24th, 1967. There was a blood moon on that All day. Right. Then on Tabernacles, October 18th, 1967, another blood moon. Then the next year, Passover again, April 13th, 1968, and then October 6th, 1968. All right. So you had four blood moons over a period of two years, and they fell on the feasts, the Jewish feasts of mm -hmm. Passover and Tabernacles. Super and, rare, only eight since Jesus. And only eight since the time of Jesus. Okay. Now, the crucial point here is that Mark Biltz argues that these particular feast tetrads tend to be omens or prophecies mm -hmm. or harbingers of major events that are going to occur in Israel. And uh, I think we'll just take a break here and come back and take a look at that uh, argument. Okay. Well, 
Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I are discussing blood moon mania that has swept the Christian world in the past few years. Okay, Nathan, let's pick up where we left off in the last mm-hmm. uh, segment. And let me just do that by uh, asking you to uh, tell us about these feast tetrads, the, the, the four blood moons that fall on the Jewish feasts. There's been eight of them since the time of Christ. And Mark Bilt says that these are omens or harbingers or prophecies of major events that are going to occur in Israel. And he gives us some examples. Now, what three examples does he really focus on? He focused on three examples of the eight in particular. One was 1492 when Ferdinand and Isabella expelled all the Jews out of Spain. Okay. The second one was 1948 when the Jewish state was created. And then again in 1967 during the Six-Day War. Okay. Well, now on the surface that sounds very, very important because those are three of the major events in Jewish history. Again, when the Jews were expelled from Spain, uh, when uh, the nation of Israel was reestablished, and when uh, the Six-Day War occurred. Mm -hmm. But there's a problem here. And the problem is that the first one of those is not legitimate because the blood moon, the feast tetrad, occurred after the event. They were expelled in 1492. The tetrad occurred in 1493 and 1494. So it was not a harbinger or a prophecy or an omen of any kind. Totally missed the year. Totally missed. All right. The second one he pointed to has to do with the reestablishment of the state of Israel, which occurred on May the 14th, 1948. But the tetrad, the feast tetrad, occurred again. A year later it occurred in 49 and 50. So again it was no arbinger, it was no prophecy, it was no... Missed uh, it again. Missed it again. (laughs) So out of the eight of these feast tetras that have occurred since the time of Christ, there's only one. Only one that was served as a prophecy or an omen or a harbinger of something that great that was going to happen in Israel, and that was the Six-Day War in 67, because the Feast Tetrad then was 67 and 68. So it really occurred after the first blood moon of that Tetrad in 1967. And the first five fell on nothing of significance for the Jews. Nothing of significance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, one out of eight is not very good odds. I wouldn't bet on them. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think that even so, we need to emphasize the point that the Bible does teach that there are signs that can occur in the heavens that can have some spiritual significance. In fact, the Bible begins by stating that, doesn't it? Yes, I've held this verse ready to, I want to share this because it's a very important thing to point out that the Bible does frequently talk about signs in the skies. And so people are taking this really seriously. Uh, Genesis uh, 1.14, for instance, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. So that was the fourth day of creation. Mm Mm-hmm. He put the lights in the heavens and He said that they are there to be signs as well as seasons for us. So there are to be signs. And so, for example, the one that comes to mind immediately would be the special star in the heavens that led the Magi all the way from Iran down to Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. That would be a special sign in the heavens. The star of Bethlehem, exactly. Or I think of... uh, the uh, special sign that occurred when Jesus was crucified. And there was a total eclipse, total darkness, followed by a great earthquake. So there are signs. Plus, Jesus tells us that we are to watch for signs in the end times, a great variety of them. And one of those is signs in the heavens. I'm reading from Luke 21, 24, where it says, "...they will fall by the edge of the sword." 
He's talking here about believers in Him. They'll fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. He's talking about the Jews here. And then in verse 25 he says, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and upon the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. And he's talking here about the second coming of Jesus in particular. So at the second coming of Jesus there's going to be some spectacular signs in the heavens. And this is mentioned in a number of places in the Bible. So it's not uh, just crazy to say, well, let's look at a particular sign, or here's one that's going to occur, and maybe something's going to occur as a result of that. But it's just that this particular sign is not something that has never occurred before. It's something that has occurred in the past, and only one out of eight times was it an omen of something great that was going to occur in Israel. Yes. Okay. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy in our discussion of the Blood Moon Mania. Okay, we're talking about blood moons. Okay. Obviously, there must be something happening that there's a reason we're talking about it. What is going on right now concerning okay, the Tetrad? Well, we're in the midst of this uh, Feast Tetrad okay. that uh, Mark Biltz talked about. It's the only one that's going to occur in this century according to the calculations of NASA. And that's another reason that he put a lot of emphasis upon this particular tetrad. Again, a, tet, a tetrad is where you have four blood moons in a row uh, over a period of two years. And uh, it, a feast tetrad is where you have four that fall on Jewish feasts. And we're in the midst of that one right now, the one for 2014-2015. Now, it started in April of 2014 on the Feast of Passover. The next one was in October of last year, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the second one. And now the third one has already occurred. It occurred on uh, April the 4th of this year on the Feast of Passover. And the final one of the four blood moons is to, supposed to occur on September the 28th at the Feast of Tabernacles. So, right now we are on the threshold of the fourth blood moon in this feast tetrad. And that's the reason that there's this great expectation that something very significant is going to occur uh, in uh, either Israel or in the whole world. Uh, you got to keep in mind that when this was first discovered uh, there was a lot of talk that this pointed to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, now uh, people have backed away from that, uh, most have, and are talking instead about it just being a major event to occur in Israel. But it certainly is not going to point to the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, is that your conclusion then that those who are saying that this is going to be the second coming of Jesus, it's not? No, no, I don't no. think so at all. And I think you could give us some reasons why it's not going to be the second coming <laughs> of Jesus. Well, I think those who look at it as a second coming of Jesus either put the rapture at the second coming or they don't believe in any rapture yes, at all. Yes. But for the second coming of Jesus to happen, you have to have seven years of tribulation upon this earth. And then you have all the events of that tribulation. You have to have the rapture of the church before the tribulation. You have to have the Antichrist rising. You have to have God's 21 judgments upon the world. You have to have seven years. And you have to have Jesus Christ returning. So there is a tremendous amount of things that have to happen before the return of Jesus Christ. There is no way that Jesus is going to return by October of 2015, unless it's the rapture of the church and that's separate from the second coming. And furthermore, I think we need to emphasize the fact that the Bible teaches over and over that we cannot know the date of the Lord's no, return. Not at now, all. We can know the general season because we're given signs to watch for, but we cannot know the date of the Lord's return. In fact, when Mark Biltz first came up with this concept, uh, he was challenged on that point. And uh, he uh, uh, very strongly 
defended the idea of date setting because he said, uh, you know, that doesn't really apply to the second coming of Jesus. That had to do with the fact that the Feast of Tabernacles had a rather indecisive date and people didn't know for sure. He gave many, many arguments to support mm-hmm. the fact that you really could know the date. Later on, he backed off that and he hasn't emphasized that in his recent teachings. But there are some people who still think that maybe this could be the date of the Lord's return. Now, this uh, teaching came out of the Hebrew Roots Movement, though, right? Yes, it did. It came out of the Hebrew Roots Movement, which uh, unfortunately is a Judaizing movement uh, trying to get Christians under the law. But I think the most important thing is just the fact that, that uh, it is legitimate to look for signs in the heavens, uh, but uh, this is a sign that has no validity in the past except for the one time, the Six-Day War, which fell in the middle of it. But we've got one out of eight, and again that's not very good odds. In fact, uh, there is a reason why people associate this with the second coming, and a very good reason. Mm-hmm. Not only because of what I read a few minutes ago from Luke, where Luke talks about the fact that there's going to be supernatural phenomenon in the heavens, but one of the greatest uh, passages on this is found over in the Minor Prophets. Okay. And uh, that's in the book of Joel. And in Joel chapter 2, he makes a, a very interesting comment there in verse 30. He says, uh, God is speaking here, and speaking about the second coming of the Messiah. And He says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So, very definitely, supernatural phenomenon in the heavens. But this is not talking about the feast uh, tetras. This is a supernatural thing. It's not some natural phenomenon. And why is that? Because it's impossible for there to be a lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse at the same time. (laughs) Why is that? Some might ask. (laughs) You kind of need the sunlight, right, to create a shadow. Well, yes. I mean, it's just not possible. Uh And so, the result is that that this has to be a supernatural phenomenon that God Himself orchestrates and produces in the heavens at the second coming of Jesus. It's not some natural phenomenon that has occurred in the past and is going to continue to occur in the future. So, I think we need to keep that in mind, at least with regard to the idea of some sort of of natural phenomenon. This is supernatural in nature. And again, I think that your point is very important concerning whether this could be pointing at the second coming of Jesus. And that is that we've got to have, according to the literal interpretation of the Bible, we first of all have got to have a period of seven years called Mm -hmm. the tribulation that has to occur uh, during that time. Now, when this was first brought out, when Mark first proposed this theory, uh, people immediately uh, responded by saying, hey Mark, there has to be a seven year period of tribulation. And he said, well, uh, that could happen because this is January of 2008. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the tribulation could begin in September uh, or the fall of 2008, count forward seven years, 2015. And Not he anymore. even put an article to that effect on his website. But later on, uh, when the, the tribulation did not begin, uh, he backed off that and began to talk more about in terms of this being some major event that would occur in Israel. Now, uh, you know, Nathan, one thing I would point out is that you are not taking any big risk whatsoever if you say, 
in the future, in this two-year period of time from 2017 to 2018, something important is going to happen in Israel. Come on. Every day something's important happening in Israel. Important things are happening there all the time, and even Uh more so now than ever before because all of end-time prophecy focuses upon Israel. And the whole world is focusing upon. The Bible says in the end times the whole world is going to come against Israel. That includes the United States, and that's what we're seeing today. So, more and more major events are going to occur in Israel. So, nobody takes a chance if they say, I say to you in this two-year period of time in the future, 2017-2018, something important is going to happen in Israel. Okay, I agree. <laughs> something important will happen and in it Israel. it will, yes. So, there is yeah. really no, no big risk here of, no. of saying something like that is going to happen. Uh, I think the problem that we are faced with here is the fact that the whole field of Bible prophecy is plagued by sensationalism. It's just plagued by it. There are times, Nathan, when I am embarrassed to tell people that I am a a, a teacher of Bible prophecy. Because the moment I say that they roll their eyes, and justifiably so, because there is so much sensationalism that characterizes the whole field of Bible prophecy. And let's come back to that in just a moment. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our discussion of the Blood Moon Mania. Nathan, I have uh, said over the years many times that Bible prophecy can be green pastures for disciples. If it's taught properly, it can cause you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, commit your life to holiness, commit your life to evangelism. But the problem is, as we were talking about before the break, it is also a playground for fanatics. And as a result of that, there's probably no field of theology that is held in in such contempt as the uh, as the field of eschatology. Uh, the average person thinks of it as as a playground for fanatics of sensationalism, of, and, and unfortunately, that reputation is justified in many regards. Uh, in fact, we devoted a whole magazine to that recently. It's called Prophetic Craziness, in which I <laughs> pled for people to stop searching for sensational yes. things. Uh, and, and to focus instead upon what the Bible has to say. Give us some examples of prophetic craziness in the past. Well, I think the, the most common that we just got through was the Mayan calendar of 2012. They even made a movie, 2012. The end of the world, everything was supposed to line up. The Mayan calendar ran out of time. And they, that was just a, a big disaster. And, and, because and there were they, Bible prophecy teachers focusing on that instead of focusing on what the Word of God says. Exactly. It was the same two thing when Y2K happened, when the computers were all supposed to shut down and put us back in the dark ages in the year 2000. Nothing came of that. There and was the Hale-Bopp Comet of 1997 that everybody thought. All would, the planets were going to line up, and as a result of that, there was going to be a gravitational pull that would cause the oceans to cover the United States of America. And people were going crazy over this. Yes, the Jupiter effect of 1982. <laughs> yeah, and and I could go on and on and on. But there, are, people are always looking for something outside of the Bible to be excited about and to justify their faith as if their faith is Well, this is one of my pet peeves. That's why I devoted a whole issue of our magazine to it. I remember a few years ago uh, uh, that uh, I had a uh, fellow call me uh, during the Y2K thing. Okay. 
During the Y2K thing, first of all, we had a major Bible prophecy teacher here in the United States who told people, put out a, a tape in which he said, you need to go out into the wilderness. You need to buy some property there. In fact, he, he did that himself. Yeah. And he said, you need to build a bunker and you need to fill it with guns and with uh, food and water because they're going to come after you when the whole United States collapses over Y2K. There was a very well-known Bible prophecy teacher in Canada who wrote a whole book about this. I'll never forget reading that book. He had a list, four pages of all the things in your household that were going to stop operating. He had the toaster on there. And that's when I decided I had to do something about this because my toaster could care less <laughs> what day it is, what hour it is, what week it is, what month it is, and what century it is. All it wants to do is just toast some bread for me. So at that point I decided, this was about 1998, okay. to really do some research on this. And I devoted a whole issue of our magazine to it uh, in late 1999. And basically what I said was, my conclusion is, number one, it has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. And number two, nothing's going to happen. Everybody's prepared for this, the government, industry, everyone. It, it, it'll cause a ripple at most, but it's not going to cause any major effect here in the United States. Do you know during that time, I had a guy call me, and he said, I'm putting together a, a major Bible prophecy conference in Texarkana, Texas. And I'm inviting all these well-known speakers, and I'd like for you to be one of them. I said, well, what, what's the theme? He said, Y2K. I hadn't published my article yet, but I had finished it. I asked him, I said, well, do you know where I stand on Y2K? He said, well, no. Where do you stand? I said, I have concluded, number one, it has no prophetic significance, and number two, it's not going to have any effect. And there was this long silence. And he said, well, I think we'll invite somebody else. Because they weren't interested in what was really going to happen or what the Bible had to say. What they were interested in was something sensational. And we see this over and over and over. People uh -huh. pursuing the sensational. In fact, I had a fellow call me not too long ago who said, what's wrong with your ministry? And huh. I said, well, <laughs> what do you have in mind? He said, well, I've been following it for quite a number of years. And he said, you just don't ever have anything new and, and exciting to say. It's just the same old stuff over and over and over. I said, well, first of all, God called me to teach what the Bible says about the end times. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And furthermore, that is very exciting. I mean, if you don't consider what God has promised concerning the end times to be exciting and even absolutely sensational, then you don't really understand what God has promised or else you don't believe those promises. Exactly. I mean, I, I was deep in the Y2K thing with my tech background at the time. We were working on with a bank trying to get them converted and ready. And so there was a technological problem sure. that could have shut down a lot of computers, but they had years to prepare for it and there was very little that happened at Y2K. I remember I was working all through the night the, of New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, manning the, you know, ready for an avalanche of problems with the bank. Nothing happened. There was nothing prophetically significant about it. But you're right. And, you know, I asked a relative about this who was very into this blood moon thing at the time. And uh, she just wanted to, to, you know, really get into it. She thought something was going to happen. I said, well, why are you into this? It's, there's nothing biblical about this uh, in the way that the blood moon tetrad show, not, of course, the way the Bible shows when Jesus comes. She says, well, I'm so tired of waiting. I just want hope. I want something there that'll help me believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And people are tired of waiting for the rapture and they're grasping at straws wherever they can. The problem is, I think you're absolutely right. As soon as these things, the Y2K and Hale Bop and all come and go, people give up. They get tired of waiting for Jesus Christ. Yes, they, they get they, disillusioned. Yeah, they disillusioned. And then they wipe all 
31% of the Bible being Bible prophecy. They wipe it all away and say, forget it. And we're seeing that in the churches. As churches are no longer interested in Bible prophecy anymore, they're giving up too. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Oh, yes. Well, again, I would just emphasize uh, to our viewers that if you really understand what God has promised oh, yes. for the future, you get excited. I mean, it's sensational. In fact, the, the hardest part about it is to believe some of the things that God has promised for the future. Because, again, as Henry Morris once said about the uh, book of Revelation, it's not hard to understand. It's just hard to believe. If you'll believe what it says, let me tell you, you get excited. Mm -hmm. I mean, God has promised that one day very soon His Son's going to appear in the heavens. The rapture of the church is going to occur. We're going to be taken out of here. We're going to be given glorified bodies. I won't have any arthritis anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, none of the problems that we have now, we're going to be yeah. given immortal bodies. We're going to be living with the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ in heaven until He returns to this earth. We're coming back with Him. We're going to see Him crowned King of kings Amen. and Lord of lords. We're going to see Him reign over this earth and bring peace, righteousness, yes. and justice to this earth. We're going to be there when He defeats Satan completely and totally. And we're going to be taken and put in that new Jerusalem that He's preparing right now. And we're going to see the greatest fireworks display in all of history as this earth is heated up and the new earth and the new heavens is prepared for us. And we're going to come down and live on that new earth forever in the presence of Almighty God and Jesus and glorified bodies. Amen. I mean, what do we need sensationalism for? I mean, the Lord has promised us the most sensational future you can possibly imagine. It is exciting. So, what is your advice for people? as they seek to understand God's prophetic Word. Well, I would say this, is that the Bible, you can trust the Bible. Go to the Bible for your Bible prophecy. Read that. Don't go out for extra biblical things. Don't get all excited about Nostradamus and Y2K and all this stuff. Stick to the Bible. Stick to a literal interpretation of the Bible and get excited about it. A third of the Bible is Bible prophecy. There's lots of cases. But you got me excited. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I, you know, I grew up in an amillennial church okay. that taught that the Lord was never going to put His foot on this earth again. He just wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to come back and reign over the earth. He wasn't going to bring... They, are, they argue, we we're in the millennium now. In the millennium now? No. And, and you know that's the majority viewpoint in Christendom today, that we're in the millennium now. Well, I'll tell you what, if we're in the millennium now, the Lord is doing a very poor job of reigning over this earth because every nation on planet earth is in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ this very moment. Yes. No, we're not in the millennium now. And what God promises about the millennium is for, for real. It's the, 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 the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw with the ox. The earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. These yes. are promises of God and they're going to take place. And if you can believe that, let me tell you, you can get excited. I have so many preachers who say, I just don't pay any attention to Bible prophecy because it's all pie in the sky. It all has to do with the future, nothing to do with the present. But you know as well as I do, if you can ever convince people in a church, number one, Jesus really is coming back. Not to convince them here, but convince them there. And number two, that's an event that can occur any moment. Mm -hmm. Their lives will be transformed because they will be committed from that point on to evangelism and to holiness, to lining their lives up with the Word of God and getting serious about the Lord's return. Oh, I, uh, that's our blessed hope. That is our, our blessed, blessed hope. hope. And it's not, not all these sensational moons, things that no. people get so excited about that really are not in the Word of God, that are not based on the Word of God. And I just urge people, get in the Word, stay in the Word, learn what the Word promises. And that's all the sensationalism you will ever need. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it has been a blessing to you. Till next week, the Lord willing. This is Dave Reagan speaking for myself and Nathan saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near.
I want to take a moment to tell you about a book that I think will really help you to better understand how to interpret and apply God's prophetic Word to your life and to national and international events. The book is this one called God's Plan for the Ages. It runs 400 pages in length. It contains 42 chapters. And in those chapters I cover every aspect of Bible prophecy related to the first and second comings of Jesus, as well as what prophecy has to say about end time nations and events. And one thing that is really neat about this book is that every chapter stands on its own. So, you do not have to read the book from beginning to end. You just open it to the table of contents, pick a topic like the Jews in prophecy, or the Arabs, or the United States, or Jerusalem, or Europe. One of the premier Bible prophecy teachers of our day and time, Jack Van Impey, wrote some very kind comments about this book that he sent out to all of his supporters. He said, God's plan for the ages offers a sweeping panoramic view of prophetic events unlike anything I have ever studied, even after having read more than 11,000 books. This book can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, and that includes the cost of shipping. To order a copy, call the number you see on the screen or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 